right. Good morning, Grace Church. Great to see you all this morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. It's going to continue to be good because we are going to get into some awesome verses in the scripture today that are going to encourage you and bless you and even challenge you this morning. And uh, we are jumping back into a series called the Gospel of John, or another way you could say it is the proclamation of John or the teachings of John. These were uh, things that John wrote down. He was an eyewitness. He was an earwitness to the life of Jesus Christ. And he wrote these things down for us to uh, learn from and for us to remember the life of Jesus. And we took a little breather on this series uh, towards the end of last year. And this morning, we're going to dive right back into the gospel of John. But before we do, I want to quickly update you on the Moors, um, a family that was supposed to be here this weekend. And I also want to celebrate a faithful servant of the Lord this morning. But uh, Cody and Christina Moore, um, they were going to be here this weekend. Uh, they're candidating for the student pastor role here at Grace Church. But uh, Christina's grandfather passed away this past week. And so they decided to um, postpone their trip. They're going to be here next weekend. And so uh, if you would, uh, man, just do your best to be here next weekend to meet Cody and Christina. Um, they're going to be uh, candidating for the position here at, at Grace Church, the student pastor position. And uh, they're going to be here to, uh, um, uh, to introduce themselves and to get to, to know you a little bit better. But if you would, just be praying for the Morris, too, and, and Christina and the passing of her grandfather. And also just pray for this process as we um, look to um, bring uh, someone on staff that is going to lead uh, Grace Student Ministries into an incredible future. I want to ask you to be praying for that. Also just wanted to show great appreciation to Carrie Morris this morning. Um, she has been serving the Lord faithfully through the ministries here at Grace Church. And, and let me just tell you just a couple things of what she has done around here. Um, she has served behind the scenes in a lot of incredible ways, but she serves on the accounting team. Um, when someone fills out one of those prayer cards that uh, Pastor Keith was talking about, uh, she would handwrite a note to everyone that filled out one of those cards and just to let them know that we were praying for them and thank them for coming. Um, she would send information to people that were interested in ministries that we have here at Grace Church. She helped get folks uh, signed up for our newsletter and for Right Now Media. Uh, she did all kinds of data entry stuff behind the scenes. Um, she would put together all the notebooks for our Discovering Grace class. And the list can go on and on, but I, I'm just here to tell you this morning, we can't thank her enough. And I told Carrie that I would not bring her up here, so I'm going to go to her, okay? All right? So if you could give Carrie a round of applause. Thanks, Carrie. Appreciate it. Yep. Even the kids are cheering downstairs for Carrie. Yep. They're happy for you. Thanks for serving the Lord. Really appreciate it. Um. Let's jump into the Gospel of John this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 13. That's going to be the chapter that we're in this morning. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen, and we would love to give you a Bible of your own. So if you don't have a Bible after the service, go to the Connect table in the lobby and just ask for a Bible, and we will gladly give you a Bible of your own. But uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13, and uh, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, in John, John chapter 13. John was a man whose life was changed by Jesus Christ. And he was an eyewitness to the life and the teachings of Jesus. And John 
he writes down, he records what he saw and what he heard. And the things that he heard and the things that he saw are what we're going to be reading this morning. These are actual accounts from uh, the eyes and the ears and the pen of John. John, um, you know, earlier in the Gospel of John, we, we looked at some of the miraculous things that Jesus did. We, we saw the, the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. And this was the first miraculous sign that Jesus tells us about, or I'm, I'm John tells us about, rather. And we learned that Jesus is an agent of transformation. So from the very beginning of this gospel, we learn that Jesus changes things. When Jesus comes on the scene, things change. They don't remain the same. They don't stay status quo. They change. Jesus changes things. He, he, he is an agent of transformation. And to that, we can say, yes, okay? My life has been changed because of Jesus Christ. And I know many in this room, many of you watching on Facebook Live, your lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. He is an agent of change. Jesus changes things. He doesn't let things stay the same. We learn that Jesus came so that we can have life, and we can have life to the fullest, that we can have abundant life. Jesus came so that we can have life more abundantly. And it's not just this life. It's a, it's a joyous life. It's a, it's a life lived in freedom. It's a life with a sound mind. It's a life where you experience the, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and faith and self-control. Like the fruits of the Spirit are evident when Christ is alive in your life. The Gospel of John is really the gospel of eternal life. That's what many people refer to it as, is the gospel of eternal life, because John wrote this gospel so that men and women and children would believe on Jesus Christ, and through their faith in Christ alone, they could receive, they could ask Jesus to be their Savior. They could receive eternal life. And so we're going to continue this series in the gospel of John, in John chapter 13, And we're going to look at two powerful ideas that John expressed in this chapter. We're going to start with the first idea that we see, and it's at the end of the chapter, end of John chapter 13. And then we're going to look at the second teaching, and we'll see this teaching at the beginning of chapter 13. So we're kind of starting with the cart in front of the horse, okay? Does that make sense? We're going to start at the end of chapter 13, and then we're going to go to the beginning. The first thing that I want us to look at The first thing that I want us to focus on, and this is so important, this is so critical. Our love for people will either prove or disprove our devotion to Jesus Christ. Our love for people will either prove or disprove our devotion to Jesus Christ. So, really, point number one is... Following Jesus, um, living your life for Christ, it is not a ritualistic thing. It is not um, full of to-do lists. It is all about loving people. It's all about loving people. Our love for people will either prove or disprove our devotion to Christ. And we see this 
Jesus is the one that spoke this at the end of John chapter 13, and he says this in John 13, verse 35. He says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Once again, our love will either prove or disprove our devotion to Jesus Christ. You know, one of the the most stunning things about this verse, John chapter 13, verse 35, is actually where it's located in this chapter. Jesus says these words on the hills of Judas, one of his disciples, one of his followers, one of his inner circle, one of his close friends, leaving to betray him. Jesus says this after Judas had gotten up from um, the, the dinner that they were having, the Last Supper, and he left to go and betray Jesus. Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's really an amazing moment in this text because we know what's coming for Jesus. We can read on further in the Gospel of John and we know that Jesus is going to die a brutal death. He's going to be crucified on the cross. He's going to be beaten close to death. He's going to have nails driven into into his arms and into his feet. We know that Judas is off to betray Jesus. And in this moment when we're reading this, I think we begin to wonder, like, what is Jesus going to say? Like, Judas just got up. What's he going to say to his disciples? What's he going to do? And in this moment, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment. And it's in verse 34, and it's to love one another. He says, I give you a new command, and that is to love one another. And I want to ask a question this morning. I think this is going to apply. Maybe this is your first time in church. I think it's really going to uh, speak to you. And maybe you've been in church for, you know, 30 years or more. I, I believe this is really going to minister to you. But my question is, is, is this really a new command? Is this really a, a brand new command to love people? And the answer is no. It's not a new command. Not hardly. People who are not even active participants in the life of a church would say, I think it's a good idea to love people. I think it's a good idea to, to be kind and to love people and to love your family and to love your friends. And I think it's a good idea to love one another. Loving one another was, was part of the Jewish tradition. It's even present in the Greco-Roman world where this gospel is being written. And it's seen in other religious traditions as well. I think most people would agree that it's a good idea to love people. So why did Jesus say this is a new command? Why did he say this? I think in order for us to understand the why behind that, I think we need to better understand the word love. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek, so Jesus chose a word that he used for love. He chose a word that the people that were listening to him talk would, would have immediately understood what Jesus was talking about. Oh, okay, now I know what Jesus is talking about. He used a word that connected with the people. And so to to help me explain this a little bit deeper, I actually, I want us to watch a commercial from the Super Bowl, all right? Uh, We're not going to watch the halftime show. We're going to watch a commercial, okay, from the Super Bowl. (laughs) And uh, I think this commercial will really help me explain to you what this word was that Jesus used for the word love. Um, it's actually from, 
it was from an insurance company, and I just want you to know up front, I'm not trying to sell you insurance, okay? Um, but it really helps to explain the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here in verses 34 and 35. So check out this video. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first. You guys remember seeing that commercial in the Super Bowl? Remember seeing that? Just so you know, they actually got this idea, um, read a little bit about the why behind this commercial. They were inspired from a book that C.S. Lewis wrote, and it was called The Four Loves. And and C.S. Lewis is a famous Christian author, written numerous books, but he identified four types of love that's mentioned in the Bible. And they talked about it, philia. Philia is a reference to friendship, like a a deep love that you have as friends. The other one was storge, which is uh, love that you would have for your grandparents or for your brother or a sibling or for your mom and dad. The other one is eros, which is sexual love. And then C.S. Lewis said that those, those types of love are based upon feelings. That's what you feel. And then he goes on to explain that agape, as presented in the New Testament, it is a sacrificial love that comes about as an act of the will rather than a response to emotion. So this agape love is different than the other three types of love. It is an act of the will. A good way to say it would be it's it's loving whether you feel it or not. It's an act of the will. It's a, it's a conscious decision to love. And the greatest love of all, agape, represents the selfless love that God has for you and I. C.S. Lewis pointed out that those four kinds of love are all good in their proper place, but agape is the best because it's the kind of love that God demonstrated towards us, that he practiced towards us. And he goes on to say, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, I can practice agape to God, angels, to men, to uh, animals, to beasts, to the good, the bad, the old, the young, the far and the near. It's the conscious will to love. So in verses 34 and 35 of John chapter 13, Jesus uses the word agape. And he says, this is a new command. This is a new a way to love, your agape love for people will either prove or disprove that Christ is really real in your life. And, and, and I think we can all agree that it's, 
It's easy to love people that you're partial to. It's easy to love people that are lovable. It's easy to love people that are easy to get along with. But man, when you come into contact with people that are unlovable, or you come in contact with people like Jesus did that were going to betray him and to still love in that situation, that is like a whole nother level of love. You know, it's part of the human condition. It's just being human. We, we all understand. Like, we, we want to be loved, and we want to love. And the reality is it's easier, easier, once again, to love those who are lovable, who are loving. It's harder to love those who are unlovable, or maybe unkind, or maybe even your enemy. It was said in a commentary that I was reading that John, the author of this gospel, in his old age, he would often be asked, like, why do you speak of loving people so often? And John's reply would be, because it's what our Lord commanded. If it's all you do, then it is enough. Now, Jesus, Jesus was very bold. He was very clear about what true discipleship looks like, what following Jesus really looks like. What is following Jesus? If we could picture it, what does it really look like? And it's agape love for people. This brings us to the second teaching in John chapter 13 that I want us to focus on. And what I've tried to do this morning is give you the head knowledge, okay? We understand agape. It's actually a conscious decision of the will. Whether you feel it or not, you're making a decision to love. Even if you don't feel it, you're going to love anyways. So we have the head knowledge. But I really want us to, to capture what does this kind of love really look like? And I believe we see it the first part of John chapter 13. Number two, if you're taking notes, agape love sacrifices and serves. Agape kind of love sacrifices and serves. Before Jesus gave this new command about agape love, he demonstrated what it looked like. This is what I love about Jesus Christ. He's going to give us this teaching on agape love, but before he did, he actually walked it out in real time. And he showed us what it looks like. He demonstrated what it looks like. The first part of John 13 shows us a great example of agape love. It's the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. His disgusting disciples' feet. I don't think I have to remind us, but these these folks, man, they wore sandals in these days, okay? And so they're like walking dusty roads. I mean, imagine the toe jam that he had to wash. Man, that's disgusting, all right? He washed the disciples' feet. And before Jesus gave a new command, he showed us what it looks like. Let's look at it together. John 13, verses 1 through 5. So he, Jesus, got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. You might say, man, well, what's the big deal about washing the disciples' feet? It was a custom in this day. The role of foot washer was reserved for the lowest servant, okay? So, I mean, slavery was a thing in this day still. There people, I mean, there was classifications of people, and the lowest class, that was who would wash people's feet. When you came in, it was a custom um, for the lowest servant in the house to wash your feet when you entered 
And Jesus took the role of the lowest servant and he washed the disciples' feet. I think understanding the context of this chapter is vital to help us understand what's described or what's pictured here in John chapter 13. If you read this chapter, you'll learn that one of the other disciples, Peter, he was appalled at the idea of Jesus washing his feet. He was like, you are not touching my feet, Jesus. You are my Savior. You're the Lord. You're God in the flesh. You are not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part of me. And then Peter was like, not only my feet, but my, my head and my, my legs. Like, just give me a bath, Jesus. You know, like, he was, he was appalled, though, of the idea of Jesus taking the lowest form of a servant like that. I'm sure we can identify with Peter's response. I think most of us Christians, we wouldn't hesitate to wash the feet of our Savior. But many of us, I think we would struggle with the idea of the God of the universe washing our feet. I think we would struggle with that. I think I would. I don't know about you. I would would be resistant to God washing my feet. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said this to them in John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. He said, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, I honestly don't believe that, uh, you know, some, some uh, churches make it a practice to, to wash feet, and I think that's okay. But I don't, I don't think Jesus was saying, hey, this is like communion. This is something you got to do once a month. He was saying, this is an example. I, I, you need to take on the form of the lowest servant and be willing to serve your fellow man to be willing to love the way I haven't demonstrated to you. Jesus gave us a beautiful picture of what agape love looks like. I think we can learn a lot about this, this, this picture that Jesus gave us. I think we can learn a lot about this agape kind of love. I want to highlight and I want to focus in on one thing. Once again, if you're taking notes, Jesus humbled himself and he served his greatest enemy. Jesus humbled himself, and he served his greatest enemy. I want us to catch this this morning. Judas, at this time in the story, Judas was already heavily influenced by Satan. Maybe he was even possessed. Some people think that Satan was controlling Judas at this time. But Judas was present for Jesus to wash his feet. And I find this so encouraging, because even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Judas was going to stab him in the back. He still served Judas. He still washed his feet. He knew betrayal was coming. Jesus knew that anguish was coming. He knew the beatings and the scourging and the agonizing walk with the weight of the cross on his shoulder. He knew all that stuff was coming. He knew the torture that he was going to receive and being uh, crucified on this cross. But in this moment, he still humbled himself and he washed Judas's feet. Unbelievable. I, I, can't, I can't really comprehend it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have trouble serving my closest loved ones. Like, really? I got to help with the dishes? Like, are you kidding me? Come on, man. 
You know, the Super Bowl's on. I don't want to do dishes. I mean, sometimes I have a hard time serving people that I love. Not to mention serving someone that I know is about to betray me. It's like, Justin, help me understand this. Like, bring it to present day. I, I know there are some people who have had a spouse that has walked away from them and has cheated on them. How could you apply what Jesus did here with that spouse? How could you love them even though they have betrayed you? I don't know. You're going to have to answer that. What about a rebellious child? You know, it's like, man, it's, I, I love this child, but man, it's just so hard to, uh, to see them going down this road and this path. And man, how could you use this example of Jesus to love this child the way Jesus loved? Or maybe there's times where you are having a hard time loving your spouse or serving your spouse. Man, I would encourage you, look to Jesus as your example. You may not feel it. You may be, the last thing you want to do is to serve your spouse or to be kind to your spouse. But I encourage you to look to the example of Jesus and make the decision to have that agape love, even though you don't feel it. And serve and give of yourself. What about in our community? Oh my gosh, there are the... I can't stand Democrats, you know? Like, they just drive me nuts. And I, I, I don't want to serve a Democrat. I don't want to be kind to a Democrat. Or I can't stand Republicans. Man, they're just always all preachy, and they're, they're just uh, against this and against that. How could we love one another the way Jesus loved? What about someone who doesn't believe the same things that we do? Their lifestyle, their sexual lifestyle is completely different than ours. They have attraction to the same sex. Their belief system is like completely opposite of your belief system. How could you still love someone like that, like Jesus loved? How could you serve? Like this is, this is a whole new level of love. And Jesus says this will prove or disprove your devotion to me. You want to play church? Go ahead and play church. First of all, it's going to be really boring, and you're not going to get much out of it, and that's a pretty miserable existence. But if you want to really live for Jesus Christ, then you need to have this kind of agape love. Love people who are different than you. Love people who don't believe the same things you do. Love people who... who may be against you. How can you love like Jesus loved? And I'm going to be the first one to admit, this is hard. This is hard. So I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. But I believe it would be pastoral malpractice if I didn't challenge the church that I pastor to love the way Jesus loved. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to love like Jesus loved. You know, Grace Church, I do have to say, I want, I want to finish this morning by just giving you some encouragement and giving you some examples of, of other ways this agape love has played out in our church. And I want to be the first to say that Grace Church has been a great example 
of this agape love. We haven't been perfect at it. But man, I can look to many examples of how we have loved one another. We have loved people outside of our church really, really well. And I want to just share a couple stories with you. A few years back, a man in our church had just started a plowing business, snow plowing business. And um, he was working hard, just barely scraping by. He was just making enough to survive, to put food on the table for his family. And uh, of course, uh, at the worst possible time, uh, when a big snowstorm came in, the axle on his truck broke. And he, he, his truck was just shut down. He couldn't make any money. And there was a, another man in our church who uh, heard about the need. And uh, he actually knew that he could do something about it. And so he took the axle off of his own truck and he put it on the other man's truck so that he could keep plowing. I mean, talk about taking the shirt off your back. You know, that's like taking it to a whole other level, right? He took the axle off of his own truck, put it on Kevin's truck so that he could keep plowing, he could make some money, he could provide for his family. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's a good example of agape love. Loving, even maybe if you don't feel like it. There's numerous stories in our church of people fixing each other's cars and providing firewood for each other and plowing each other's driveways and many other acts of love that have been demonstrated by you. I want to say, good job, man. Keep it up. You've been a shining example. We have a wonderful woman in our church, and she is 72 years old, and she's still working. She needs to work to be able to make ends meet. And on Saturday... Um, this 72-year-old woman does an 11-hour shift. She works for 11 hours every Saturday. And she prepares meals for wonderful people at a nursing home here in our community. And she said, it's a way for, for me, this, is, this was her talking, she said, it's a way for me to minister and to show love to those who really need it. Yeah, she's making some money to be able to make ends meet, but she uses it as an opportunity to minister. She's showing love. Agape kind of love. We've had people in our congregation that have lost loved ones. Some in really tragic ways and hard ways. And our church has rallied in those moments, providing cards and prayers and meals and visits and phone calls and words of kindness and financial help and so much more. We've had people go through some serious medical issues and our church has stepped up and shown this agape kind of love. And they've once again provided meals and cards and financial help and phone calls and just simply reminding people that, hey, you're not alone. Like, we're we're walking with you through this. And I want to remind us that we don't just show love to our own. I don't believe that's what Jesus has called us to. Like, hey, just love people that you get along with. No. He says to love the unlovely, to love those that maybe aren't a part of us, you know? Grace Church has helped numerous people outside of our church with food and gas money and housing and medical bills, counseling. We've provided winter clothing and cars and prayer and just encouragement to people outside of our church to not give up and to keep fighting the good fight. And here's the challenge. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are to serve and to love 
and to do for others like Jesus did for us. That's, that's what we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to put down our own needs, our own pride, and we're to serve others, even those who may even betray us. Even those who will turn their backs on us. And God is calling us to love and to serve. And he set the example by putting some water in a basin, by getting down on his knees. And let me remind you, this is the God of the universe. And he grabbed the feet of Judas, the disciple who was going to betray him, and he washed his feet. It's amazing. I can't think of a better picture. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. And uh, they're going to lead us in a song called Proof of Your Love. I just want to remind us as they're making their way forward, you know, our love for people will either prove or disprove our devotion to Jesus Christ. The type of love that God wants us to show to the world around us is the kind of love that is full of sacrifice and service. The type of love that God wants us to to live out is the love that he demonstrated. A kind of love where the onlookers, you know, people looking in or people watching will be like, what in the world? Like, I've never seen that kind of love. I haven't seen people love each other that way. I haven't seen people love people that are not like them in such a way. I haven't experienced that kind of love. That's the kind of love that Jesus is pushing us towards. You know, the type of love that God wants us to show the world, once again, is full of sacrifice and service. The band's going to sing this song, Proof of Your Love. And I, I pray that this time would encourage you I've been praying that you would hear from God. So whatever your situation, whoever is in your life right now that maybe you're struggling with, that you're having a hard time loving, I've just been praying that the Holy Spirit would would give you an idea or the Holy Spirit would lead you in a direction to love them like Christ has loved you. And so as they sing this song, I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning.